Good afternoon. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Uh, it's good to see all of you, especially those of you who are our guests today. Thank you for making us a part of your Sunday. Uh, before I get into the word, uh, I want to highlight uh, Every Nation Biz Plenary coming up this coming Saturday, 21st. 9 o'clock until 12 o'clock in the conference room, we will be having uh, Brighton Shamu, the founder and the MD of MB Resources, speaking on uh, business ethics God's way. So if that interests you at all, it's open to you and your friends. Please come through and join us 9 to 12 this coming Saturday. We're starting a brand new series today entitled War Room. Um, yes, the who, who, two of you, that was great. Um, I, I've been thinking about this, not series, but prayer for a while. And um, Today, I want to do less of a preaching or teaching and really just have a conversation with you. I'm concerned that maybe we might preach so well in the next four weeks that you would actually think that you need to pray more. I really am worried about that. I'm not trying to be weird. I'm not even trying to be funny in any way. I'm deeply concerned that maybe... At the end of four weeks, what you would have received from the series will lead you to spend more time in prayer, more hours in prayer. You know, before you go to bed in the morning, you, you're going to be spending way more time than you ever have spent in prayer. That worries me. Because other religions probably pray more than you do. It worries me because that is not the goal of prayer. If, if that's the only thing that you get out of four weeks that you need to pray more, then we failed you. I hope that, that what, what you get out of the next four weeks is a changed understanding that allows you to pray with a specific goal. Here's the reality. What drives you to pray will keep you praying. And for as long as you are driven by your needs, you will only pray until your needs are met. For as long as you're driven by the amount of money that you need, you will pray until you get the money. For as long as you're driven by the uh, amount of uh, 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 business opportunities you want to have, you will pray until you get a business opportunity. For as long as you're driven by the need to have a spouse, don't pray, come to church and you will find one. But anyway, you will be driven by the prayer request until you find it. What drives you to pray will keep you praying. I hope that by the end of this series, what drives you to pray will change. That is a goal. I hope that by the end of this series, that what drives you to pray will not be your need, but it will be a desire to know him. That you, that you would have a, a drive in you to not only know him, but to see his kingdom Come into the earth in a way that allows things to not just change till we content, for things to change thoroughly and utterly. That should drive us to pray. See, I've, I've, I'm glad that I'm starting this series because I am not the kind of guy that people look at and go, whoa, that guy can pray. Ooh, that guy prays long. I, I struggled with, pray, with praying, as you can tell, I can't even pronounce the thing. I, I struggled with praying for years. <laughs> I struggled with praying for years. And 
I remember just coming to a place of brokenness in my life where a need, a desperate need brought me into the place of prayer. And when I got there, the Lord asked me, if I don't give you this, will I still be enough? And I realized that what he was trying to get out of me was this, son, what is it that you want more than this? Because that will drive you. And Lord, it's you. You will be enough for me. When I come into your presence, I am coming because I want to know you. Secondly, I'm coming into your presence because I want to be a conduit for your will to come upon the earth through me. That God will use something as simple and as menial as prayer that your words attached to his will will allow his blessings to come down. Imagine that for a moment. Isaiah 59, it's not up there. I was thinking about this this morning during our first service. Isaiah 59 verse 14 to 16 says, So justice is driven back and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has uh, stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found. And whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one, he, he saw that there was no one, he was appalled that there was no one to intervene or intercede. That ultimately when God looks at the nation of South Africa, what appalls him is not the injustice. What appalls him is that when he wants to do something, there is no one who's willing to go, let me pray your prayers. What he's looking for is a people that he can deliver his kingdom through. And it has to be a people who are willing to pray. It has to be a people who are willing to stay to know him and to stay for his kingdom to come. So today I want to camp out in one text, one scripture, and it's in Luke 11, verse 1 to 4. Please excuse the typo. Luke 11, verse 1 to 4. If you have your Bibles, please turn there with me. Luke 11, verse 1 to 4. If you don't mind, do you mind standing as we read the word just out of honor for the word? I'll read it for you. Here's what it says. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Father, today I pray that you would not only bless your word, but you would bless our hearts to hear your word, that our minds, our souls, our bodies would be in tune to obey. Whatever it is that you would say through your word, to give you glory in all uh, almighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you. <clears throat> Looking through the Lord's Prayer, I want to speak about three attitudes of prayer. Three, attitude, three attitudes of prayer that I believe will help you in your prayer life before the Lord. When you read the Lord's Prayer, we see these three things coming out. And here's the first one. One, we need to praise like he has done it. Two, we need to ask like he will do it. 
And three, we need to stand like he is doing it. Three things, very simple. Praise like he has done it. Ask like he will do it. And stand like he is doing it. Matthew 6, the disciples have come to Jesus to ask him, hey man, teach us how to pray. What I I love about this is that uh, it's always bothered me to to, to find out, Lord, why did you not, if prayer is so important, why didn't you not call the disciples and teach them immediately how to pray? Why did you have to wait for them to come to you, to ask you to teach them how to pray? And, and here's what I want to say to you, that God will only entrust to you certain things if you're hungry. If you are not hungry, he cannot give them to you. And he had to wait for the disciples to get to a place that they were so hungry enough for what they saw in him that they had to ask him, can you teach us how to do this thing that you call prayer? Because we have tried to figure out how you do the signs you do, try to figure out how you have the, the authority you have, how you speak the way you speak, but nothing marvels us more than how you pray. Teach us how to do this. So they come to him. Jesus begins to teach them. And he starts off by saying, listen, don't pray like the hypocrites who stand up in front of people and, 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 and they get their reward because people have heard them pray. And here's what he's saying. Rather, you should go into the secret place and pray to your invisible God, invisible Father in secret. And when he hears you, he will answer your prayers. Here's what he's saying. Those of those of you who pray so that people can see you, you receive your, your reward through the praise of people. But those who pray so that only the heavenly father can see them, your reward comes from the king of kings. So don't be like them. Then he says, don't, don't fill your prayers with babbling words, just going on and on, hoping that the amount of words that you pray will somehow twist God's arm and make him do what you want him to do. Instead, pray like you know that God will knows what you want. You see, when you pray knowing what God wants, it builds confidence. I've had friends ask me this question. I think it's an important question. Why should we pray if God already knows what we need? Ever thought of that? It's very simple. The reason we should pray, even though he knows what we already need, is because we don't know what we need. And it's only when we pray that God says, yes, I know you want to get married. Not to him, though. <laughs> you, you know what you, you think you know what you want until you stay long enough in a place of prayer. And he tells you, no, 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 no don't, don't do it like that. So he says, let me teach you, though, how to pray. Come. And he says, here's how you pray. You say, our Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father, this is a remarkable statement. 14 times in the Old Testament, the Israelites pray to God or speak to God as Father. But when they speak to God as Father, it's a national thing. No one is doing it personally. The whole nation is going, Father. But when Jesus comes, 60 times Jesus speaks to his Father. He does it so much that the Pharisees go, this must be blasphemy. No one is this close. You, you, can't, you can't speak to him as though you and him are, are, are like this. 
So he's teaching his disciples. And what we learn from the get-go is this, that through Christ, God has made a way for us to move from the outer courts to the, in, to the most special, most inner court of, of praise and, 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 and adoration, which is the, 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 the secret place of his tabernacle. Now we can come to him and we can pray to him as a father. So what is, what is Jesus teaching? He said, all right, you want to know how to pray? I want you to go find fathers who love their children and watch them interact with their children. That's how you ought to pray. I want you to go find kids talking to fathers who love them. And the way that they talk, that's how I want you to pray. That your model of prayer is not religious folks. Your model of prayer is not how uh, Lareko does it or how Tiem does it or how Sposh does it or how Siv. No, your model of prayer is not them. Your model of prayer is how a loving father deals with a son. And when you see that, that is how I want you to pray. Now, him being father is important to us because it allows us to understand that there's actually a, a process of maturity in prayer because my father treated me a particular way when I was a kid, treated me a particular way when I was a teenager, treated me a particular way when I, when I was an adult, and now treats me a particular way now that I'm married with my own kids. That progression also happens in prayer. Now, Here's the, first, here's the first progression, or here's the first stage. How many of you, when you got saved, it felt like whatever you prayed for, you got? Man, you just straight up, Lord, I want money, boom. Lord, I want this, boom. That's why I tell people who get saved, I go take them up to foundations. The moment they sit down, I'm like, okay, this is a good time to pray for a wife. This is going to happen. If you do it now, it's going to happen. How many of you ever had that? The moment you pray, things will start happening. You know, you're in that, you're in that new stage where, where, where God is meeting your need, but don't fall into the trap. Here's the trap. The trap is believing that, that God uses prayer as a tool to prove to you that he's good. No, he doesn't. He uses the cross as a tool to prove to you that he's good. It is why we praise. And you cannot gain the faith you need to ask if you cannot praise. And therefore we look to the cross, we look to what he has done, and we give him praise because he made a way, he substituted his life for us. Our Father. So that first stage, man, you ask, you get whatever you want. Those of you who want to get saved today, the moment you get saved, you know what to do, all right? <laughs> Second stage is that he sifts your emotions, sorry, your, your motives. He sifts your, mo your motives. And this season is marked with silence, heavenly silence. You pray, you feel like he can't hear you. No matter how many times, you go to prayer meetings, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., you walk out, you feel like, man, brass ceiling, nothing happened. And what he's trying to figure out in your life right now, will you stay because of his faithfulness or will you leave because of your disappointment? Watch how you allow disappointment to lead you, please. Whether it be in relationship or with God, when you allow disappointment to lead you, you tick the box that says, I will settle for something less. And he wants to see you right there in your motives. When, it's a, when the season is marked with silence, he wants to see, will you stay because of him or will you leave? Because you haven't got your needs met. 
you stay, then you get into that third stage. The Father is with you all this time. You're not alone, but he is maturing you through prayer. This stage, he wants to teach you how to align your emotions with his will. This is a tough stage because in this stage, he completely, utterly, and joyfully inconveniences you. He wakes you up when you want to sleep. He makes sure that you go to places that you don't want to go. He makes sure that you say things to people that you do not want to say. He, he allows certain situations to happen in your life that though you've planned out your week masterfully, it breaks your week apart completely. Everything that you planned seems to be falling left, right, and center. You raised your kids to be courageous. They've got amazing friends, and out of nowhere, their friends start bullying them. You, you, you've done all you can to save up, and out of nowhere, you find yourself with a list of debts that you have to take care of. He will inconvenience you. Here's what he's trying to see out of you. Job, Job 13, verse 15. Though you slay me, I will praise you. What he's trying to find in you, will you praise him? Will you let your emotions align to his will? There's a difference between knowing God's will and being happy about it. This is that stage. I know that you want me to do this, but I'm not happy with it. In this stage, you become happy with it. You've already surrendered that his will is better than yours. His ways are better than your ways. His thoughts are higher than yours. In this stage, you go, you know what? And I like it. Man, thank you for it. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's painful. I don't get why I'm feeling this way. I don't get why you've taken me out of this place and all of a sudden things I have. But I thank you. Though you slay me, I will praise you. The last phase is one where it is marked with trust. In this phase... Your words become like God's word, like Samuel. The Bible says no words of Samuel fell to the ground. This is a stage that people are going, man, I want to rise to that stage. But it's the most dangerous stage of prayer maturity. Because this is the kind of stage where God says to Moses, Moses, speak to the rock. And Moses strikes the rock and he doesn't make the promised land. Because he didn't do what the Lord told them to do. So it's wonderful that you can come to a stage whereby he can trust you with stuff. That you'll be able, just like when Jesus, just before, um, what is this now? When just before he, he, he was tempted, the, 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 the heavens opened up. What was that called again? Was it the transfiguration? No, guys, it wasn't the transfiguration. There was something else that happened uh, in Matthew 3. Uh, he got baptized. Oh, and then the Lord, the Lord came to him and said, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved son. That word son is the word huos, which means a, 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 a matured son. This stage means, just like Jesus was having with God here, this stage means that you say, you speak like the father speaking. And so the level of responsibility is higher. Our father who art in heaven, there's a progression of maturity because he is your father. You might find yourself in one of those stages, and I want to encourage you to stay the course so that you might know him. A father who art in heaven. What does it mean for him 
to art in heaven. It means that he dwells in an existence that is eternal and above everything you might know. So right now, it is possible that God is with my great-great-great-grandfather and he's with my great-son, with my great-great-grandson at the same time as he is with me. Think about that. The Bible says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That right now, God is standing right right next to my great-grandson saying, because Siv obeyed, I will bless you. And he begins to mark that blessing and no one can change it. Ah. I wish maybe, maybe if someone just said, hey, if someone said, oh, I could end soon. No one is saying anything except for ultimately, I'm feeling left out. You have to understand me when I'm telling you now. Because he's a good father who dwells in heaven, even when you help a lady who's walking past across the road, and one iota of your obedience is translated immediately into blessing. I wish someone could realize how powerful a father who dwells in eternity is. Hallowed be your name, holy is your name. It's, it's, it's complete. It's all together. That there is no revelation of God that, is, that he isn't all together. When he is righteous, he is altogether righteous. When he is joyful, he is altogether joyful. When he's peaceful, he is altogether peaceful. So when I'm saying, hallowed be your name, I am praising him for the fact that his his names have been made available to me. And now when I begin to trust for things, when I begin to wage war against the enemy, the arsenal of, the the arsenal, the chest of war, the the war chest I have is filled with the names of God. See, it's not like the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when someone had a revelation about God, God showed himself as God the provider or Jehovah Rapha, they would build a monument to remind themselves of who he was. But they didn't have access to all the names of God. You, through Jesus, have access to all the names. That's when you praise, you praise like he has done it. You say, Lord, thank you. And I, I praise you because you have given me these names. You, in, in these names, you reveal yourself to me. In these names that are holy, you're all together the characteristics that is represented in these names. I praise you, my Father, who dwells in an eternal realm. Second point. You need to ask like he will do it. Don't just praise like he has done it, but ask like he has. You have to go through that that praise. When I pray the Lord's Prayer, I like to pray it like this to remind myself of this moment. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now your kingdom come. Now that I've praised you, now that I've beheld who you are, Father, answer this prayer for me. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven those who have trespassed against us. Three things placed in priority. One, pray for his will. Two, pray for your needs. But three, pray for right relationship. Pray for relationship. Your kingdom come, your will be done. The word kingdom 
Basilea means a, an invisible an invisible a realm of sovereignty that governs the earth. Basilea. An invisible government, an invisible realm of authority that governs the earth. Lord, let that invisible realm of authority, let that come here. That's my prayer. One day I... I really hope and I believe, man, when we get to heaven, we are going to have the privilege of seeing the spiritual dynamic that led to the earthly things. And we will be reminded that our job was to stand in the gap of the living and the dead. And that our mere words were meant to connect these worlds in such a way that God's goodness and kingdom would pervade because we said amen to him. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. It is so important to ask God for your needs. In fact, James said, you have not because you do not ask not. And it also goes on to say that when you ask, ask like you've already received. Then you will get it. Ask like he will do it. You'll get it. Here's what the Lord challenged me on. He said, Siv, you want me to give you daily bread? How much do you want me to give you? Just for you? Just for your children? What about Lareko's children? What about, what, about, what about the connect leaders? What about the volunteers? What about your staff? Based on the level of bread you ask for, that's the amount of bread you're going to get. Hear me. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And here's why we as Christians must look beyond our own needs. Because he has given us a mandate to advance his kingdom. So there are certain things that might not affect my household that I require daily bread for. Because I know that I am responsible for something greater in life. So, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. In this daily bread, I include finances for my children and Lareko's children. In this daily bread, I'm including uh, provision for my wife's business and Uncle Tiam's business. In this daily bread, I'm asking you that you give me this daily bread so that I might execute that which you have called me to execute. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. I love it here that it, uh, it takes the word sin and it, it, it attaches it to the word debt. Now, first of all, I want you to know, it is more painful to your prayer life the fact that you are harboring unforgiveness. It absolutely does not affect the person you are offended at. That person is chilling in the Bahamas, having a mojito, non-alcoholic. Yeah. <laughs> that person is having the time of his life whilst your prayers are being limited. In fact, the Bible says, not only are your prayers limited, it says the level of your forgiveness from God is determined by the level of forgiveness you have extended to others. <sighs> anyway. Bible says this, sin and debts, put them as the same thing. What is God trying to do? He's trying to teach us about what sin is like. Your debts, those of you who do have debts, come to you every month to remind you 
Yo, homie, we're here. <laughs> they rock up. Hey, handle us. Now, debts come with friends. Those friends are called interest. I mean, you know. And this helped me to understand the Jewish people, when they considered sin, they didn't just consider sin as one mere act. If I had to go to Lareco and steal his phone, is it, is it a Samsung phone? What is it? I wouldn't steal that phone. Um, let's try someone else. <laughs> let's try someone else who... <laughs> let's try find someone else who has asked for daily bread. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, come on. Why? Why? I mean, Putty, you who has been blessed by the Lord. Um, if I go to Putty and I steal her phone, which is an iPhone, I steal her phone, we understand, forgive them for their debts, as in when I bring back the phone, it means now we're all good, right? But we haven't factored in the interest. Here's the interest. When the Jewish people understood sin was this. If I take Putty's phone and I bring it back, what I haven't realized is not only did I steal her phone, but I broke the atmosphere that existed between us. And so when the atonement comes into your life, it not only rectifies the wrong that has been done, but it redeems the atmosphere that has separated you from God. And so now, when I'm saying, Lord, forgive me of my debts, I'm not only saying, forgive me of where I've wronged you, but cleanse the atmosphere so when you and I come together, we come together like nothing ever went wrong. And Lord, do this for me as I have done this for other folks. I've not only pardoned their debts, but I have dismissed the interest. I've allowed that relationship to be restored. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Give us our debts as we also forgiven our debtors. Last point, you need to stand, stand like he is doing it. Stand like he is doing it. Verse 13, Matthew 6 says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The, that word evil actually means the evil one. What Jesus is trying to tell his disciples here is there is a realm in the spirit that is filled with war. That war is after you. Now, wh whether you feel it, whether you see it, believe it or reject it, it exists. And, and you need to understand that there are things that are trying to come at you and you need to be praying that God will, one, lead you out of temptation or he will deliver you and he will deliver you from the evil one. This, this prayer, this part of the prayer, one could argue, is actually stolen from Psalms 23, which says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul, guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear no evil. For you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So what is he saying? When you pray, 
Stand like he is doing it. Stand like the shepherd is with you, present, continuous, delivering you and leading you out of temptation. Right now, right here, in this moment, as I leave, he is present and continuously leading me out of temptation. Why? Because a good shepherd, unlike you, have you ever been to like a game, right? Maybe it's a soccer game or rugby game and you... Tennis game, no. Uh, you, maybe you're going with your child or you're going to a festival. And your child, remember, this is the father now, right? Your child wants to see what's happening. But he can't see, but you can. Lead us not into temptation. And so what does he do? He takes the child by the hand. Or he puts the child upon his shoulders. Allowing the child to see. There it is, there it is, it's coming. What's he saying? The good shepherd knows when the wolves are coming. He knows when the wolves are. And so he doesn't lead you in the path of wolves. He leads you not into temptation, but he takes you rather to a pasture, a green pasture where you can lie down peacefully by still waters. But sometimes we choose to not follow the leading of the Father and we end up finding ourselves in the middle of the wolves. There he says, I will deliver you from the evil one in that moment. I have a backup plan for your backups plan, backup plan. Discovery. Um, just putting out an advert for discovery there, you'll pay me later. Right? I have a backup plan for you. If, if, if you're walking your life, I will take you by the hand and I will lead you not into temptation. But if you should find yourself in the place of temptation... I will deliver you from the evil one. Paul puts it like this. Paul says, now there is no temptation that is beyond man. Nothing that you're going through is beyond your capability to overcome it. Then he goes on to say, in that temptation, I will create a door for you to escape. Oh, lead me not into temptation, Lord, but deliver me from evil. I want to close with this. Just to remind you again of those three points. One, we need to praise like he has done it. Two, we need to ask like he will do it. Three, we need to stand like he is doing it. Um, let me end with the story. There's a guy in the Old Testament. His name is Hezekiah. Hezekiah is the leader of Israel. Israel is going through a very bad patch. Things are about to go crazy. The Assyrians, who have a way greater army than uh, Israel, are about to come and take them out. Hezekiah goes and he, and he prays. Lord, please don't, don't let them do this. Come through for me. Come through for us. And the Lord says to him, with this phrase, he says, because you prayed. I love that. Because you prayed. Here's what I'll do. I'm going to send an angel. The angel is going to come and he will deliver you. Sure thing. Next day, an angel comes. And the angel wipes out 185,000 soldiers by himself overnight. Answer to prayer, because he prayed, right? Next thing, Hezekiah is sick. This is ranging from Isaiah 37 all the way to Isaiah 39. Hezekiah is sick in 38. He, he's sick in 38. So much so that um, Isaiah the prophet comes to Hezekiah and says, you are so sick, the Lord has told me to come and tell you, you better prepare your house. Put things in order because you're about to die. 
The Bible says that Hezekiah, while he was in his bed, he turned to the wall and began to cry out to the Lord and said, Lord, but I have served you faithfully. Please don't do this. Don't, don't allow me to be taken. God changes his mind. And the prophet comes and says, because you've prayed, God is going to give you an extra 15 years upon your life. And to show you that he will give you an extra 15 years. Tomorrow when the sun sets, the shadow that comes from the sun, just as the sun is about to set, I will allow the shadow to move back 10 steps. God is awesome. I will allow it to move back 10 steps. People see the shadow moving back 10 steps. Boom. Man has a kind nose. He's going to be healed. Here's an interesting part in this verse. He, he tells them that he's going to be healed. Then he tells them to go have some medicine. Anyway, that's for some of you who think you're not going to go have some medicine. I just enjoyed that part. Anyway, he heals him. And then, verse 39. This time, Hezekiah is meant to pray for the next generation. And Hezekiah chooses not to. He opens up his home to the Babylonians, some leaders from Babylon. They come in, and he is, he's showing them, look where all my treasures are. Look how amazing everything is. I have all of this. And then the prophet Isaiah comes, and he says, here's what the Lord says. These people from Babylon are going to take away all your treasures, all your treasures. And your next generations would be completely wiped out and destitute. Then... Right at the end of chapter 39, Hezekiah says something that's very sad. He says, this is a good word because at least my generation will be okay. What will be said about us as a nameless, faceless generation 10 years from now about the things we prayed for and the things we didn't pray for? What will be marked in the history books if a people from every nation, Rosebank, chose to pray for his kingdom to come, chose to pray until they got to know him more. What will happen? What will be the statements that follow the word because they prayed? What will be those statements? And I pray today, I hope today, that it will be said of us that we prayed and God did as we prayed. Let's pray. Father, thank you. For this, your word. Father, I pray for all of us here today, Lord. Like me, who struggled with prayer for so many years, I, I pray that these attitudes of prayer will entice us and encourage us to continuously come before you with the desire of knowing you and your kingdom coming. So, Father, I pray for all of us here today. Lord, convict us, encourage us, comfort us, and remind us that you desire for your will to come through the simple prayers of those who have dedicated themselves to you.